This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. You guys, I use these every single day. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it is so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. Plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. And when you try it, you'll see that it is what your eyes have been looking for. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Hey everyone, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. You're going to be glad you're here today. <laughs> I know I say that a lot, but I really mean it. We are in the middle of a series called For the Love of Funny. And you know, you know me. I just love comedy. I love humor. I love comics. I love comedians. I love funny people. I love funny writing. And so this whole series to me has just been delightful. We have a guest today who has, well, frankly, been working in various forms of entertainment for really like over 20 years. He was a successful touring musician with his own band for a while, a filmmaker, a stand-up comic who currently lives in Nashville. And he's just unique. Gosh, I sure hope you're already following him because you're immediately going to be delightful. But we have Kevin James Thornton on today. So he would say he was pretty happy with the way his life was going and sort of a renaissance guy in various areas of entertainment. But at the beginning of the pandemic, he kind of accidentally, frankly, tapped into a, a part of his life, sharing it on TikTok. You know, when we were all just, it was such a weird time and TikTok was on the rise and we were all isolated and on our phones a lot. And he started doing this bit on TikTok, talking about his life, growing up both kind of fundamental 
like a, in a fundamentalist church and also gay. And it just took off. Like you'll hear that he prefaces a lot of his stories with the phrase, in my super fundamentalist church, uh, it's really hard to actually explain. And then he'll interject because it was the 90s. I cannot do it justice. And it's so relatable to so many of us. There's like side splitting stories that a ton of us, like Dan or straight, obviously, could have had or did have happen in some shape or form if you kind of went to conservative church of any stripe growing up. I don't know how to explain this, but. He does this effect with this auto tune <laughs> that is just, it's so different and it's so funny and it makes me like laugh out loud. And so, although he and I did talk today, like even if you did not grow up in that background, if that's not your like childhood or whatever, his stuff is still absolutely hysterical. So you don't have to have had that sort of adolescence for any of it to be funny or to make sense to you, but he has found his sweet spot. So, I mean, he really has like at this point from the beginning of the pandemic to now, he now has over 2 million followers on TikTok and Instagram. And he is just kind of in full bloom, frankly. He is on a worldwide tour right now. Tons of it already sold out. He's just really stepped into his like gifts and his talents as a as a comic he's been featured everywhere like huff post and the advocate the new yorker he was featured in a piece on npr's all things considered and of course his it was the 90s tour is sold out all across europe u.s and europe i think you're gonna just if you don't already know him you're just going to love him. And so I'm so happy. I got him on the show today. He's on tour. He was like, I have a hard stop at this time because I've got to catch a flight to my next place. I'm like, great. I'll squeeze you in wherever we can do it. And he's just delightful and warm and funny and charming. And you are going to love him if you don't already. So I'm so pleased to share my conversation with the absolutely wonderful Kevin James Thornton. Okay, Kevin, I've been excited to meet you because I've been following you and I just identify with you so much and you're so damn funny. And so thanks for saying yes to this little show, for being on the show. For sure. I'm excited. You just told me you're in Tulsa, about to check out. Did you have a show last night? How'd it go? It went great. Let's see. We were in Oklahoma City on Wednesday, Tulsa last night. I have the weekend off and then I'm back out again on Monday. Such is the life. It's been wild. Yeah, it's been nonstop for a couple of years. How did your set play in Oklahoma? It went great. You know, I actually, I didn't quite realize that this is where a lot of, like, bases for giant conservative evangelical evangelical organizations are right here. Correct. So I learned that last night, and I think I I had, like, a room full of misfits and rejects. And I, exactly what I would expect. (laughs) Yeah. They're like laughing and kind of doing a little wipe wipe. It's super familiar, which is how I feel when I listen to your stuff. So let's let's start here. I've told my listeners a little bit about who you are if they don't already know. Because you're everywhere right now, which is fun. I was telling them in the intro, it's kind of tough to understand exactly what it is you do without seeing it. Because you've just got a unique thing that you do and a, and the way that you do it. I'd love if you wouldn't just mind for one second. Would you roll it back just for a minute? 
and tell my crew a little bit about your background because it matters so much so to your material and your your brand of humor. So like where did you grow up and what was your child what was that like? And then obviously in just real uh, in like obvious language that informed the comedy that you did today. I grew up in a really small town in Indiana and people are often surprised to hear that my parents were not churchgoers. I did it to myself. In my community, there was really nothing to do except for sit at Denny's all night or go to church. And so I went to church. And the one that I went to, they really turned it into like a party for teenagers. Like there was constantly like the gym had a band in it and pizza and every like multiple times a week. So that was my whole life, like all through college. And I was into it. I was really, really, really into it. And I guess like the conflict arose when in my teenage years, I started realizing that I'm gay. I couldn't let those words even pass through my head. Of course not. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that something was stirring, you know, and so that, that kind of gave birth to a lot of really awkward moments of me trying to like fit into this world when I didn't. So I think that's probably, I mean, at the time, it's really tragic. But 30 years later, I look back on it with a lot of like, that was really absurd. You know, and I think that's where I guess like the, the birth of my comedy material comes from just that like, it was awful in the moment, but looking back, like that was so ridiculous. I put myself through so many ridiculous scenarios, you know. Right, voluntarily. Voluntarily. Yeah. That's so interesting. First of all, your whole bit, I guffawed about your whole bit about Carmen and the devil in the fight with Jesus. Yeah. I know that. We also had that performance, that dramatic performance done like at our youth camp, and we all just cried. Okay, I have so many questions about this. This is interesting because I'm curious what your parents thought of young fundamentalist Kevin who just decided that he was going to take the super religious conservative path when that wasn't there. It's like, what was their response to you? Because there's so many rules in that sort of evangelical fundamentalist adolescence you know and i don't know did they find you amusing did they were they alarmed i think it was a little bit of a different era i mean my high school years were 1988 to 1992 you and i are the exact same age okay all right yeah so in that time period i think anything religious was sort of seen as good you know and so i think my parents they didn't ask a lot of questions, but they knew I was going to church and they thought that was a good thing. You know, they thought it, it kept me out of trouble. It was, I was focusing on positive things and they didn't know the sort of silent torment I was putting myself through. They had no idea until years later, you know, I think at the time they thought it was, a, it was good. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than like drugging and boozing. Mm -hmm, for sure. So yeah, like for that that it was seen as kind of a, a good influence probably on our age group. And in some ways it was, and in other ways it was emotionally crippling. Yes. More, <laughs> so than, more than one thing you, can be true at once. Yes. That's right. You take the good with the bad. I wonder if we could dip back for just one second. Cause of course you mentioned 
knowing at that age, of course, deeply internalized that you were gay and not knowing, of course, what to do with that. I, I don't know about your, I grew up in the exact same environment in Kansas. So I was kind of your cousin there in the Midwest. I don't know about your church. We didn't talk about gay kids or gay people. It was so far gone a conclusion that there was nothing to say that it wasn't even like, let's wrestle with this or, you know, let's now, of course, with crystal clear hindsight, can I look back and see, oh my God, the poor gay kids in our youth group. I mean, and now, you know, exactly. I can pick them, but that was not a safe environment to be a gay 16 year old boy in at all. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear you just talk about that a little bit. I mean, now you look back with adult eyes and it's different, but wow. Yeah. I, I think people, in some ways, I think it might be harder for gay kids today because it's on everyone's mind now. And it, you're right. Mm. It really was. You were under the radar. Yes. And like, so there were lots of things that I picked up on that probably nobody else was. Like, I remember occasionally the pastor giving a sermon on, on the parts of the Bible where like, these crazy perverted people, like sure. we don't know them, but they're out there. That's right. You know? And so, yes, you're right. I was sort of flying under the radar, but I picked up every little thing like that. And so, and started sort of privately searching, like, I, I've got to fix this. Like, how, how do I get out of this? And there were like books you could order at the Christian bookstore. I read all your bit on that is terrible. Yeah. I read every single one of them. Of course, you, you know, did. just trying to figure out like, how do I fix this? How do I, before anyone finds out, you know, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. It was a different era. Like it wasn't on TV. It wasn't on the news. Like nobody, nobody was talking about that. They weren't except, I mean, I don't know how your youth group kids were, but mine, not just the youth group kids, all kids. That was at the time when you use kind of like homophobic, people use homophobic slurs as insults about every 10th word. Yes. So that was just a give. It didn't even, Nothing in my brain went, hmm, that might be painful for somebody in the room. Like, so maybe we didn't have a lot of overt spiritual conversations around sexuality, at least in that way. Now, we certainly had plenty of conversations around don't have sex. <laughs> that was clear. Pure, like Purity, like stay, save yourself till marriage, all that stuff. Yeah. Loud and clear. To the Loud extreme, and clear. extreme. Like we even got into like, if you're holding hands, if you're holding hands with someone, <laughs> who you're yes, not going to marry, you're holding hands with someone's future wife or future husband. It's so tough. It's so over the top. And it's so baked into this shame cape. It's so hard to unravel from. If you're straight, for sure. And if you're gay, you have no yeah. recourse. I mean, yeah. you're double layered all over the place. Like you have no chance. Except to hope one of those books will make you ungay. And I'm really sorry they didn't. I hope you got a refund. How not to be gay book didn't actually work. Weird. I'd love to hear how that unfolded for you. Like at what point you began to really like reconcile with who you are. Like just who you are. Like I listened to your bit about holding each other accountable and I died. I was dead. I held so many people accountable. That was what we did for like a hobby, I guess. And so you did not put yourself in a young adult environment that was yet safe. So I'm curious how you began to really become in alignment, like with your own soul, your own body, like your own identity. After high school, I hung around my hometown for a couple of years because I wanted to be in the ministry. I wanted to be a youth pastor, of course. 
And all of my friends started going to all of the Bible colleges. I think I have, I know someone who went to all of them and I was sort of deciding like, am I going to go to, you know, something on the West Coast? Am I going to go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago? You know, meanwhile, this is like my darkest period. I was internally in such a panic about the thing that I knew was unstoppable, you know, like, and I'm trying to figure out like how I, what am I going to do? I've got, you know, this is awful. And on a whim, I went up to visit. I was just so desperate and confused on a whim. I went to visit my friend who was going to like a big state school in Indiana. And he was not a Christian. He was just a friend from high school. And I think when I showed up at his dorm, he was like, are you okay? And I was like, not really. And he was like, you just want to go to school here? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I like went to the admissions office and signed. Like I never left. I just went. And so. Wow. And Are I, you serious? Oh, yes. man. And honestly, that decision probably saved my life. That weird random decision. Because I, I just, I didn't even want to go to college. But I was like, what am I going to major in? And I picked musical theater. Because, because that sounded fun. And that decision was a complete turning point. Because when I walked into that musical theater department, this probably sounds crazy, but I did not even know that like normal acting gay people like with no conflict, I did not even know that was a, a possibility. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah, and so it was just like mind shattering. Like, ah, oh, what? <laughs> like, oh, you're just gonna like walk around and get some Burger King? Yes. Like, just like a person? Right. Okay. Nobody's holding you accountable? What? <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> God. Oh, bless us. Bless our hearts. So let's talk about comedy then, because in a wonderful twist, you figured out how to spend this into gold. So I'd love to, like, even if it's probably going back for you because you're so naturally funny. When did you know you were funny? When did humor start like working its way into your vernacular? Yeah, I guess I probably am the the textbook case of in school, I figured out that if I made people laugh, everyone would stay off my back. Or, you know, so it was a little bit of a decoy, I think. Kids are cruel. If they find the thing, they will, you know, they can be relentless. So I was pretty well liked all through high school because I was the class clown. So I made everyone laugh. And I think that sort of protected me when I was younger. And then I never thought, oh, maybe I will do this as a career until much, much later. I had started writing my stories, like years after the fact, I started writing humorous stories about growing up in that youth group and just funny memories I had. And I went to an open mic coffee shop. This is like 17 years ago, maybe. And I just got up and I just read one of my stories. And I what I didn't really even know what I was doing, but the room just like erupted in like loud laughter. And it, I was like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And that was a big turning point, I think, because there was just like some magic in the room. And so I from there I just kept going. There's something that you don't know about how content lands in a live room until you know until you've done it, until you've heard the response, until you see the body language. Doing it as sort of in a stand-up, open mic format is pretty gutsy. 
I would not say most people feel like, let me just get up in front of people and try this out. Like I, you've got something in you, obviously, that is performative and able to sort of know how to communicate and connect. Did you immediately at that point, did you move into the stand-up circuit? Is that what you did? Like playing small places, small rooms? How did you start workshopping your material? Because reading it is one thing. Delivering it in a stand-up... There's a lot of ways to do comedy. And you kind of dipped into several. Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I've always been kind of an extreme person. So. That's fair. That's a fair self-assessment. If I do something, I'd probably do it all the, like over the top all the way. So I, very shortly after that, I mean, it was really mind-changing for me. So I packed my bags and moved to Los Angeles to pursue stand-up comedy. Pretty shortly, as soon as I sort of was on to that feeling, I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And I moved to LA and I signed up for a stand-up comedy class. I lived four blocks from the comedy store in West Hollywood. And I walked to the comedy store almost every night that I wasn't working. And just sat in the back and watched people. And this was the era where Whitney Cummings was, she was sort of coming. She hadn't, she hadn't made that show yet. So she was on stage every night, like a lot of, you know, faces that we know today. And I just watched their sets over and over and over and over again until it was, there was a little moment where I could get up and try something. But I went, I went all in. I went, I moved to LA and just dove head in like all in. (laughs) What were those early years like for you? Because I regularly marvel at stand-ups. The memory it requires, the transitions, the segues, the the comedic timing, the pausing. It is hard. It is, to me, it feels way easier to be like a dramatic actor than to be someone who masters comedy. And so did you like bobble and flail a bit or did this come pretty quickly and pretty naturally? It was a little bit of both. I think, I mean, definitely the first handful of times I got up at the comedy store, people don't laugh in that atmosphere anyway. Like in those, mm, like, in those like, tough crowd. Yeah. Like all, all of those like open mics, like no one really laughs. You're just sort of getting through those first painful moments. Totally. <laughs> yeah. But simultaneously, I feel like all things considered, I was doing pretty well. And I, you know, within that first year, I was, getting on stage in multiple at the improv at the comedy store like multiple times in that first year it was hard but i was also doing pretty well considering i had just started outside of the trauma stuff the church is like the birthplace for a lot of performers so my formative years were getting on stage and saying things to people you know and so it was sort of ingrained in me music just sermons. I was giving sermons as a teenager, you know? And so it was just part of me. And when I went out into the world as a young person, I wasn't completely sure how it was going to take shape. But I've been on stage in some format my whole life, thousands and thousands of times, you know, and it all kind of like adds up to something. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. 
Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I would love to hear you talk about one of your moments. Maybe it's one specific moment, but it's probably over a host. But one of the moments where you just went, this is a big success. Like this is a big win that I am not just like scrapping it out anymore or just sort of clawing my way through, but I'm good at this and people are responding and I'm succeeding, or this is like a big windfall or a big win. Those moments tend to happen where all of a sudden you're one thing and then you're something bigger. My story, people say often say that it inspires them because I am about to turn 50 and it has been a life long journey to get here. And, you know, had you told 18-year-old Kevin, hey, it's going to work, but like 30 years from now. Totally. Totally. I would have, I don't know what I would have done had I known that. So I went on the road after that LA period for a long time. I did a lot of, they're called fringe festivals. I don't know if you've heard of that before. They're like, sort of experimental theater comedy festivals and the, and there's a circuit of them and I did that for about five years and in that period I had lots of successes in that world like I had little sold out runs in Indianapolis or whatever and or like I'd get a little blurb in the paper that was like Kevin Thornton's show is a must-see but also it was so hard I was so broke I was like barely making it to the next festival. And, you know, as I sort of reached the end of my 30s, I was like, what am I doing to myself? Like, is this what I want? Like, it's so much work and I'm not making any money. And is this worth it? And I was asking all those like big life questions. And I got to some sort of conclusion of, you know what? I'm not especially happy. And I think I want to, I think I want to live differently. And I actually moved to Nashville and opened a photo studio and really started focusing my creative energy into different places. And I, as, as a completely side tangent, I love photography and I, it, it kind of takes a different artistic part of me. Someday I want to do a gallery show or a book or, you know, that's like a long-term. Love it. Just for me, artistic vision, you know, and that's sort of the space I was in for most of my late 30s, early 40s. And when the pandemic came along, it's when I just sort of out of boredom, I took some of my stories and put them on TikTok with the just completely random choice to sing them through that audio filter. It was so original. It's so dumb and funny. It's so, I think that's what, I think that's, that is exactly what drew me to it because in that, it's like, okay, I only get 60 seconds. I don't know. I found that filter. I'm like, oh, it might be funny <laughs> if I sang this traumatic story. It was, it was, I put almost no thought into it at all. And that's the thing that clicked. That's where I found you. 
Yeah. And like, that was early pandemic. Like within a couple of months, I had like several videos that had millions of views. And I was like, what is happening? I don't know, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) And, you know, and it just changed everything. It like all these new doors just blasted open. You know, and I I signed with an agency and they were like, do you want to do live comedy again? And I was like, in the beginning, I was like, I'm not sure. Because last time I was kind of not super happy and I was so burned out. I was like, I don't want to do that again. But I was like, let's give it a try. And we did. And it's been the most wild dream come true the last couple of years. I'm having the time of my life. Like all these years of preparation are suddenly here. I'm ready. I, I was ready for this moment. You know, I didn't see it coming. But now that it's happened, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. This was the lifelong path. I just, I just didn't know how long it was. <laughs> totally. And it's so fun to watch. And then to realize that you're ready to step right into it. There's, you've got all the muscle memory for it. You've actually got the experience and you learned it the hard way, just scrabbling it out. And so now you're on the road, like you're doing the thing. You're doing the whole tour comic thing, right? Like, what does that look like for you now? Did you sort of figure out how you wanted this to look? Or are you just like, give me a stage and give me a microphone? Yeah, no, it was so I signed with an agency sort of early in the the early TikTok experience. And it was sort of an experiment at first. But once I realized I'm I'm really enjoying it and it's going well, I was like, let's go all in on the clubs. I'm having a great time. So I'm touring the biggest comedy clubs in the world and often selling out. Like I went to Europe a few months ago and the entire European tour sold out before I even got there. It's amazing. It is. It's like my, when I even think about it now, I'm like, what? (laughs) Just amazing. Yeah. But like, so yeah, I'm, I'm on tour all over the world doing improvs and funny bones and you know the comedy club thing i did about 80 cities this year i think i'm going to do probably more in 2024 at the moment i'm on permanent tour and i'm loving it awesome i wonder i don't know what your particular background was mine was southern baptist but i can throw a rock and hit the catholic kids who grew up with a lot of the same guilt and some of the like jewish kids over here and like the the presbyterians you know there's so many of us but even though our, our upbringings, maybe we're in different zip codes, we have some real similar through lines. And so did you just think, I'm going to have to change material. I don't know if this religious stuff going to play, but then realize, oh, wait, this is working everywhere. What was that like? Yeah, I especially faced that when I went to Europe. I was like, are they going to understand? Right. <laughs> they did. It's a really unfortunate, maybe common experience, even still. You know, and a good example of that is when I go to Salt Lake City. Mm, oh yeah, the crowd is entirely Mormon, but they get it. They get know? it. Yeah, the essence is the same. You're right. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. The essence is the same of just sort of behavioral control. Mm-hmm. A lot of us had that experience. Did you know more than 75% of Americans experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% seek out a solution for that pain? Your feet don't have to hurt. So let me tell you about Superfeet. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot, from cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive. You can dial in your fit by taking their quick quiz online. 
answer just a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Foot biomechanics may be complex, but solving foot pain should be simple. So when you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. When your feet feel good, so do you. Your foot health is an important part of your overall well-being. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code FTL at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. I'm curious as I kind of wrap it up here with you. I'd love to know, like, as you look ahead, let's just say the next five or 10 years, but do you have any big rocks in the river that you'd love to drop in and see how they go? You know what I've discovered? And this is, I love that I can say this. I am so in love with what I'm doing right now. I love walking out on stage every night in a comedy club and saying things that resonate and making people laugh. And this is truthful. If nothing else happens, I am good. I I could do this for the rest of my life. I'm so happy with what's happening. It's not to say I'm I won't welcome other opportunities, but there in a lot of ways I feel like I've arrived. You know, and it's like God, if this is it, I'm good. I love it. it like, but I I think I would like it if it were just this, but bigger. I guess. Sure. I recorded my first comedy special and that's going to come out on TV sometime this fall. And I think that'll maybe up the game a little bit, but the pick, it, it really all just looks like what I'm currently doing, just bigger and maybe more, maybe more permanent, you know? I love that. Yeah. I signed with a literary agency, so I'm writing a book. Nice. So I'm excited about it. And it's the story, the story I'm telling is my high school years and self-acceptance. Like that's the, that's the theme of the book. Love. And so yeah. I want it to be funny, but I also want it to be really moving and resonant. You know? But I'm working on that. I mean, that's a long process. That probably won't hit shelves until two or three years from now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. By the time it comes out, you will not remember what you wrote. Right. <laughs> you will have to recount it in 7 billion interviews, but you'll be like, I don't know, some stuff about being gay, young. I can't remember. Just read it. <laughs> the thing I'm learning is 
writing my stories for a stage, it's quick and it's it's to the point very fast. Right, they're tight. Mm-hmm. Yes. For this, it's the opposite, and I've it's like okay, I've got to like settle my brain and like sink into this space where I'm gonna like fall in love with this story, and I'm not in a rush to get it out. It's just a different energy for sure. Totally. Absolutely. But I bet you end up loving it. And I have always found the process of writing long form, therapeutic and cathartic. And I'm always grateful for it. I never know if it's going to serve the reader, but it eventually serves the writer. And so I hope that you love this process and it's exciting to watch. Okay. Before I ask you the very last question, Can you just tell my community, this is where to find you. This is where to follow you. Who wants to come see you live? How do they find that out? Like where's your tour schedule? All of it. Yeah. My central hub is my website, of course. And that's just kevinjamesthornton.com. But that has all of my show dates, everything that I'm up to. It even has my photography on it. If I'm like all of my stuff that I do is there. Also, I, I do a podcast that is fairly new. You can find there. It's sort of an on-the-road, behind-the-scenes travel journal with me and my opening act on the road in comedy clubs all over the world. It's called This Ends in Paris. It's all on my website, kevinjamesthornton.com. And that's my handle on social media, too. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, final question. I actually ask all my guests this, like whatever the series is. This happens to be a comedy series that I have a lot. And so I borrowed this question from somebody from Barbara Brown Taylor. But you can answer this however you want, Kevin. It can, you can answer this dumb. You can answer it true. You can answer it earnest. We get it all. Anyway, this is it. What's saving your life right now? What's saving my life right now? Yeah. Is this an adult show? <laughs> yeah, everything belongs on this show. There's no censors. <laughs> yeah. I decided to quit drinking at some point. And not because, you know, I wasn't like wildly out of control or anything. I was very, you know, I was very in control. But I just had too many days where I woke up and I'm like, I don't feel good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and especially living on the road like this, you know, it's... Totally. I'm just sort of like learning, especially at this age. You know, I think this is uniquely a Generation X thing. We grew up with MTV and everybody was so sexy on MTV and it was all about young people, young people. We said this earlier. And I think that a lot of us in our age group got this idea that if we weren't on MTV by age 30, we didn't succeed. I'm really learning to, this sounds corny, but like value myself at 50. And it's like, I'm not almost finished. I am the best version of myself I ever have been. And the world needs to see it, you know, and hear it. And, you know, little things like just taking better care of myself, like I love my life. I love what's happening. I want this to last for a long time. I want to take good care of myself and I'm I'm 50. I know. I love the answer. And congratulations on your sobriety. I just had Nate Bargatze on this series and he also stopped drinking just recently. And it's no joke to do that. That's a big choice. And it's a lifestyle change. When you're a nightclub performer, like Nate completely himself, it's like every single night I'm in a bar. And exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and you're in your a hotel room by yourself and you're kind of bored. And, you know, it's it it's a very easy path to slide down. There's a reason why so many comedians die in hotel rooms, you know. That's right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Good for you. 
Good for you. I love that for you. And I'm thrilled about it. And I'm just excited to watch you go. Thank you for being so funny. Thank you for like entertaining so many of us and making us laugh. And sometimes I'll see your stuff and I just like throw a hand over my face because I just die laughing. It's so familiar and yet so much funnier. And so anyway, I'm thrilled. I will send all my community to all of your sites. If you are ever playing in Austin, I'll be on the front row. I am. It's coming up and it's soon. It's, I don't know the, I don't know the date. It's very soon. It's at Cap City Comedy. Of um, course. Yeah. It's been there a zillion times. It's been like a month or so. <laughs> Great. The, uh, well, get off of this and I'll go look on your website and I will find out and I will let you know if I'm going to be there. I'm thrilled. Anyway, thanks for being on the show today. I'm so happy to have met you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. All right, you guys. Okay, if I didn't bully you enough already in this episode to go follow him so you can see and hear what it is Kevin does, do it now. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'll have this whole episode, but I'll have all of Kevin's handles. So his website and his socials, and you can see his tour schedule. And then you'll just see, you'll get a real feel for what it is he does. And he's delightful. Like just in a world that's hard right now and just fraying at so many edges and feels just like tight in the chest. Kevin is a breath of fresh air. It's so nice to have people out there who are just spinning what could reasonably be described as hard things and hard spaces where you're not free and you're not safe into just comedy gold. It's just, it's refreshing. And so is he. So you can find it all over there. And I'm so happy that you're here for that. So the comedy series, it's funny people are just my favorite people. So more to come. If you haven't already, by the way, subscribe to this podcast, do it. Do it. We sure love our listening community. What an amazing podcast community. Do you know we have over 50 million downloads on this show? 50 million. My brain can't... I just don't even know. That just fries a circuit right in my head. That's you. That's you. And that's all of our subscribers who get this show every week. And so we love showing up in your AirPods. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't, wherever you get your podcast. And we sure love you. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>